It's Thursday, January 31st, and you're listening to the Typed Out Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Polifrone. Every week, Typed Out aims to deliver conversations that seek to expand the boundaries of understanding and acceptance. Tony Oso is an NYC-based filmmaker and the creative mind behind The Devotion Project, which is a series of six documentary portraits highlighting long-term love in the LGBTQ community. The Devotion Project has been screened worldwide, receiving 17 film festival awards for its deeply personal look into the lives of six couples. The films have been translated into four languages, including Russian, and have also aired on the Oprah Winfrey Network. Here to speak with me today about the ongoing impact of The Devotion Project is Tony himself. Tony, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. So the reason why I wanted to do this special release episode is because I have the distinct pleasure of partnering with you for our Love Always event, which is going to be taking place next month, February 11th at CRS, which is the Center for Remembering and Sharing. And we will be doing a screening event to show these films as well as doing a talkback conversation. But I wanted to kind of get into your mind and your process about where the Devotion Project came from. And so I was just wondering, what inspired the project? Well, I I started the project in about 2010. I started kind of thinking about what I wanted to make and how I could make work um, that was um, kind of following my MO creatively, which was always about uh, redressing the balance of representation. Mm. So, so I basically got into filmmaking uh, it, for a lot of reasons, but one of them was to redress the balance of uh, people and issues that seemed underrepresented to me or poorly represented. And I think that that can cause harm to the culture and especially to minority groups like the LGBTQ community. So... In 2010, 2011, I felt this nagging feeling that marriage equality was something that was being treated by the media as a novel thing that gay people wanted all of a sudden. Yeah, It, it seemed like the approach to it from the mainstream media was that, oh, look what they want now. What is this? They want to play at marriage too? And it felt very cursory and undereducated. Yeah. And I found that very frustrating. And I thought, this is absurd. We, we've we been doing this forever, since the beginning of time. So that was when I happened upon um, an acquaintance at a party and spoke about this desire to um, celebrate long-term relationships. And he said to me, oh, you have to meet John and Bill. And I said, who are John and Bill? And it turned out that John and Bill were a gay couple on the Upper West Side of New York City who had met in a bathhouse in 1957 and who were together ever since. Yeah. So at that, po- at that point, they were celebrating their 54th year together. And I said, what? Who? Oh, my God. Yes. Bring me to them. Yeah. So that's kind of how it how it started, because I was just kind of talking to a fellow creative mind, a guy named James Cagliardos, who's a makeup artist and performer himself and a, a publisher of V Magazine. And he met them at a at a performance and 
became friends with them because he felt that same desire to connect with them and their experience of having um, weathered these decades of, you know, a variety of responses to gay partnership. So once I met them, we were off and running because I fell in love with them immediately. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, 54 years in in the gay community. I mean, this year we happen to be celebrating the 50th celebration of Pride. And for their romance to have spanned more than those five decades is incredible, you know, because those aren't stories that we have typically heard before. You know, generally you hear a different sort of uh, point of view when it comes to, to folks who have endured relationships through the 50s, the 60s, 70s, and so on. Well, and yeah, John and Bill were never really closeted about their relationship. John told me that he very proudly had both of their names on their doorbell in their apartment building. Yeah. Uh, They weren't activists, but they also weren't living a double life. Right. You know, anyone who knew them knew that they were together. And the beauty of that relationship uh, inspired me. And you realize that as consumers of culture, we don't realize what we're not seeing because we're not seeing it. And so our brains aren't um, expanded outwards until you see it and you think, duh, of course there are gay relationships that have lasted 54 years. They just aren't in the foreground of the stories that are being told about gay people. So you and I grew up, and you less than I, because I'm older than you, but I grew up with a very sad feeling always underneath because I thought, oh, being gay means being alone, being having HIV, dying early, not thriving, not having children. Yeah. Um, You know, and I thought, this can't be true. I won't allow this to be true for myself. I won't be pitiable. And the media representation in the late 70s and 80s and early 90s when I was coming of age were those it was the butt of the it was the butt of the joke you were effeminate you were desexualized or you were hypersexualized you were dying of aids you were suicidal you were a child molester or you decided to become a priest yeah and and those were the options so i resent that so fundamentally in my core and so i actively sought out how do i use my craft which is filmmaking to fix this yeah Absolutely. And so, in, you know, in some small way, the Devotion Project being six 10-minute portraits is my little lob into the culture of saying, hey, check these kind of lives out. These people exist, right? Are, are your neighbors too? Yeah. And it's like, these aren't fictional stories. Like, these are actual people who are who are living the reality of it. You know, it's not a... Mm-hmm. It, it's challenging the the common perception or what Hollywood or whatever has put before as saying this is the limited gay experience or the limited queer experience. But these are people that are actually living out these romances. Well, and they're they're doing it um, in direct defiance to what the culture told them was permissible. Right. So they were able to overcome, um, you know, the kind of negative messaging that they were receiving and thrive. And that for me was so inspiring. And I also thought, and I say this, I've said this a lot about the project as well, which is I think that straight couples can learn a lot from these couples, whether it's dividing responsibilities in the home or running a business together or parenting together or facing an illness together. Yeah. 
there's a lot in the series that really you could apply to any couple trying to last. Beyond John and Bill, who sounded like they were a direct connection, correct? Mm-hmm. How did you find the other five couples? Well, since no one's an actor in the series, I had to kind of do word of mouth friend casting. So I really reached out to friends um, and asked them for uh, couples who inspired them who were together and and kind of made a list. And one thing led to another. After I did two gay gay male couples, I really wanted to reach out to do other kinds of LGBTQ people, which is how we ended up with an older African-American couple who one of the partners didn't even identify as gay or lesbian or bisexual even until she met Gail, her, her wife. Yeah. So there's that aspect of meeting later in life. And, and um, I, met an, I met an older male couple also on the Upper West Side who to me were wonderful, but a bit too similar to John and Bill. But they told me in passing that they had a niece who was raising a child with special needs in the Bay Area. So I said, please put me in touch with her. And that's how I met Jamie and Laura, who were featured in Listen from the Heart. Yeah. And their incredible story of raising Simon. So it kind of, people wanted to give information and some people reached out, you know, but what I wanted to avoid was repeating the kind of story. And, you know, even people also recommended to me that I should do all older couples to preserve their stories. And I think that would have been a very valid and valuable pursuit, but I really wanted to give young people all kinds of examples from different age ranges and and kind of backgrounds. So I didn't want to just do elderly couples, even though I hope someone does do that and that those stories are preserved. Right. Uh, you know, but I wanted to give people like a manual of like, hey, you love that couple, but maybe you don't relate that much to them. What about this couple? This couple's younger or this couple's parenting or this couple's, you know. Right. So... But showing that these stories transcend both age and gender is truly the thing. It's like it's great to see the full, literally the spectrum of how love takes different forms, you know? Yeah. I mean, we have a couple who met at 18 and were together for eight years at the time of filming and moved to New York City from Florida and took that risk together. That to me is inspiring in its own way. Yeah. And then we have Gail and Audrey who were only met when they were in their 50s and 60s, but they had never had a relationship as powerful as that one. And that to me was so inspiring in its own way, because sometimes you feel like you've missed the boat if you're not partnered by 40, let's say. Yeah. But they didn't give up. And it's incredible to me that Audrey, you know, was open to even going on a date with a woman. Right. At 61 years old. Yeah. <laughs> You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I get yeah. daunted by dates now. I know. <laughs> no I, exactly. Who it is. <laughs> I want to throw my hands up in the air now and be like, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to be a plant lady. It's fine. Right. You know? Oh my gosh. Cat dad. Yeah. So once the films were filmed, cut together, ready to go, and you started submitting for the festivals, what was the critical acclaim? What was the response? Well, we really lucked out. I mean, I really believe that there was a hunger in the community I think that both in the LGBTQ community, there was a hunger to see these kind of stories. And straight people were really taken by them because they hadn't seen stories like that before. Yeah. So it was a kind of good match. And the thing that really kind of put, put us on the map was that Rosie O'Donnell's girlfriend at the time saw the first film, John and Bill's story, at, at the New York Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. And Rosie was preparing 
a talk show for the Oprah Winfrey Network. And her this woman said, oh, Rosie would love something like this to put it in the show. So we we were able to make that happen, which blows my mind to this day. My friends were texting me, oh, my God, Rosie O'Donnell just said your name on TV. What? Um, so we did. So we cut down a three minute version of their story so she could do it as one segment, you know, in between commercials of her show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. So from there, people found the project. And I can't remember if it was before that or right after that, that I decided to make six films and to crowdfund the rest of them. So John and Bill's story I, I made out of pocket um, just because I felt this fire in me to make it and capture their story. And then afterwards, when when Rosie aired it and then we won a festival award at, at New Fest, I was like, okay, well, I want to do this kind of manual of kinds of relationships that are thriving right now among us. And that's what led to crowdfunding. We ended up raising almost $60,000. And um, that's how I managed to make the other films. Even though that being said, and that might sound like a lot of money, but as you know, you know, plenty of people donated their time and talent. Yeah. And uh, we didn't pay any of the couples. And we flew out to the Bay Area and shot um, Jamie and Laura's film and Anne and Eric's film in one short, one four day stretch out there um, just because I didn't want to have all New York couples if I could avoid it. Yeah. And and it was a beautiful experience, which ended with ended up that Freedom to Marry, the organization that fought for marriage equality, used three of the films in their shortened forms and pushed them out through their media outlets to give examples of what marriage looks like right. and why we should be entitled to it. So that was you know, the thrill of having people see the stories that you've somehow tried to shape into something that could be inspiring without being corny or feeling like an advertisement or feeling surface, you know, that that was so gratifying. Yeah. And what has been the response for the couple since the films have aired? Have they been reached out to or has there been some significant impact in their lives since their stories have been shared? Well, I can tell you for sure that Gail and Audrey are approached by people um, at events who say, I saw your movie. I want you to be my aunties. Can, <laughs> can, can I get a hug? Can I get a picture with you? And they email me and tell me those stories. And I love that because people might come across the films, but not necessarily think that they're going to run into the people themselves. And then when they see them, they're like, oh, I know their marriage story. I know their love story. Yeah. I want to go say hi to them because they're also very approachable and lovely people. That being said, John Hilton also has several international friends, including a South African gentleman named Costa, who I've also met, who saw the story, reached out to John, and when he came to New York, he made it a point to meet John and spend time with him. Oh, wow. I know that th they maintain a robust kind of internet friendship to this day. So John, needless to say, is thrilled to have people respond to their story. And for me to hear about these additional friendships that John has gained late in life, I mean, it couldn't be more gratifying. To me, that's what the project is about. It's about connecting people and breaking down barriers between people. Absolutely. There's one other crowdfunding uh, venture that I wanted to pick your brain about, Tony, which was, mm -hmm. I know that the, the films were translated into four, is it four languages total? 
Excluding English? Yes. Italian, Portuguese, Spanish, and Russian. Yeah. So, and I want to talk about the Russian effort. So I think there was a crowdfund to get the translation for those. Yes. When I was reading about Sochi and the Olympics there, I thought, gosh, Russia seems to have some really backward ideas about LGBT lives and the dignity that we should be afforded. And so I launched a crowdfunding campaign specifically to upload them with Russian subtitles in anticipation of Sochi. So I I partnered with a dear friend named Tony Forte in Philadelphia, who is friendly with our the house rep, Brian Sims, who's a very outspoken LGBTQ rep in the house mm-hmm. in, in Pennsylvania. And Brian came to our screening fundraiser and helped push us over the goal to pay for the translation and the subtitling of the films. So I went to Philly and met him and met some wonderful supporters of the project who really thought, you know, a little education could help, you know, because you're fighting, you're fighting a lot of government influence and religious influence that's simply wrongheaded and or outdated and or meant to try to try to make invisible something that you cannot deny that is undeniable. So through that process, I had a great experience um, putting those films up on our YouTube channel with Russian subtitles. Now, what Russia, and I know that Russians have seen them because we have Russian comments on them. I don't know how far they've gotten in terms of how Russia controls their social media or their YouTube, but I, I, I have a feeling that there's a hunger for those representations and there's an audience in Russia because yeah. I think there's an audience everywhere in the world. Absolutely. You, you know 100 100- that there is. And the thing that I think is so important about getting those films translated into Russian is that because Russia does have a pretty strict policy against LGBTQ plus individuals, and there's even, uh, if anybody listening along is familiar with Voices 4, mm-hmm. I know that they are quite vocal and active against the oppression that's happening in Chechnya, which is kind of outrageous and not to bring down the Uh, Mm -hmm. like to make this a dark turn. Um, But there is a lot of questionable intent that is happening there. So I think anything that we can do to broadcast the message of LGBTQ individuals in Russia and let our, you know, fellow community members there know that they are not alone, that there are people out there creating art that is representative of them is, is profound and incredible. And, you know, thank you for doing that. I think that's, that's really amazing. You know, it's, it's, I agree. And I, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to do it and to be able to communicate with people across the world. And that being said, I also educated my father and my nieces about LGBT people, even in just to demystify it. And to watch my father tear up at one of these films, you know, he's a kind of old fashioned Italian guy. So that's gratifying equally, because I think that beyond fighting rhetoric with people who are actively opposing you, there's something really valuable about affirming the love that you know and that your audience knows exists. Because what that does is fortify people to go out and live openly and to do their own education within their communities and to build that kind of stamina within themselves to fight the good fight in their lives. And I really think that that's just as valuable as kind of fighting fire with fire in a way. Yeah, absolutely. 
And it tur- yeah, it turns out as a filmmaker, that's what I'm more comfortable with. I'm not super comfortable making highly politicized work that gives a lot of screen time to people who want to deny my dignity. Right. That's not something that I find. And I'm grateful people do do that. It's just not where I find a great amount of strength. So my feeling, and that's why the Devotion Project Facebook page, even to this day, shares exclusively good news about LGBTQ people. That's what, that, it's very easy for me to, to avoid giving voice or airtime or social media access shares and to people who are actively trying to harm us. For me, if you engage with the Devotion Project at all, it's really about affirming the beauty and dignity that we are capable of. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there is so much more to to be said about the Devotion Project, about what's happening in the LGBTQ community and how these things are still so relevant, especially even, you know, considering political climate and, and things that are happening worldwide. But if you do want to hear more about Tony and the Devotion Project and the lives of the subjects from the, the six films, we do encourage you to join us on February 11th at CRS. Again, that is the Center for Remembering and Sharing in New York City. We will be showing four of the six films. And then afterwards, we will be having a panel-led discussion with Tony and some of the, the film subjects as well to further discuss the ongoing impact. Tony, I wanted to thank you again for your time today, for allowing Typed Out to have this opportunity of sharing in the Devotion Project and continuing to spread the word. So really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having us. I'm excited to see the couples, some of whom I haven't seen in a quite a bit, and to hear about how their lives have been impacted by the films and what the, what's been going on for them since we made the films. That's going to be really exciting. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So again, if you're listening along, we can only encourage you if you are in the greater New York City area to come out February 11th for Love Always, a screening and panel-led discussion surrounding long-term love in the LGBTQ community. Tony, thank you again, and we will see you February 11th. Thank you. See you then. Alrighty. If you've enjoyed listening along to my conversation with Tony, be sure to subscribe and be notified when new episodes are released every Tuesday. And as always, we appreciate a rating and review. I have been your host, Nick Polifrone. Thank you for listening. This has been a Typed Out production. <laughs>